We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Nijinsky on March 21st, 1980. It was written by Hugh Wheeler, based on a book by Romola Nijinsky, based on the diary of Vaslav Nijinsky, directed by Herbert Ross and released by Paramount Pictures. This was executive producer Harry Saltzman's second attempt at a Nijinsky movie. The previous attempt was a co-production with Albert Broccoli 10 years earlier and was canceled in pre-production. That version was written by Edward Albee, who had written like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm. Um, And it was directed by Tony Richardson, who had won Best Director for Tom Jones in 63 prior to that attempt. The first attempt is referred to as Nijinsky Unfinished Project, but it never actually got uh, filmed and edited in completion. I think I would have liked this film more if I had known it was based on a real person before I watched it instead of after I watched it. Oh, I didn't realize you didn't know that it was a biographical thing. I I had no idea because I don't know anything about ballet and I didn't know that this was a real person. Well, there you go. Um, Herbert Ross was brought on after directing The Turning Point in 1977. Uh, possibly because of his connection to Mikhail Baryshnikov, who appeared in that film. Baryshnikov turned down the role of Nijinsky here, and the role was played by George Lapena, who was his stand-in on The Turning Point. The film is also the very first appearance of actor Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start the film uh, with a long, dark hallway where we're slowly pushing into Vaslav Nijinsky in a straitjacket, staring blankly ahead. Spoiling the film. Yeah, well, also, though, I didn't realize what I was looking at until it reappeared as the last shot. I'm like, oh, that's what that shot was. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I noticed it. So I was just like, oh, okay, whatever this is, it's going to end up with him going crazy, I guess. We cut to a hotel in Budapest in February of 1912. Sergei enters a hotel with cloth over his mouth because he seems germaphobic or something. Yeah doesn't play into the plot anywhere At beyond all. this yeah. scene but he comments that his bellboy has a strong back and could be a dancer but asks how old he is and when he says 12 he's like ah, hey, you're too old um, he goes and he wakes up Najinsky in his hotel room even though the physician's like oh he's on bed rest he needs to recover um, and he says hey i booked us three tours in france and england and uh, he gives him a gift which is like a shard of a clay pot with a fawn painted on it and they share a kiss through this the germ cloth. Um, Doesn't count if it's through the sheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's like you also like you have to pay attention to which side was on your mouth and which side is on the other person's mouth. Mm-hmm. It was it was like 1911. I don't think that anybody's really looking out for germs at this point. He had the cloth for some yeah. reason. But uh, also, I thought like that this was the first implication that they were lovers. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's a line of dialogue or talk about the shepherd boys. And it's like, that's for you, not for me. It's like, oh, so he's not gay. Oh, no. I th- I think that line was just to be like, 
I'm not the person who like stares at boys all day. That's your mm. thing. You're the one who stares at me. I don't. I don't go around looking for other men. Uh, we cut to the home of Romola, who is with her sister in a bedroom, uh, getting ready to go see Nijinsky star in a ballet, and her sister's very jealous. She goes to the show with her mom, and she says that she wants to be a famous dancer. And her mom is, I guess, an actress, retired or right. or failed, I'm not sure. But she basically talks down all of her daughter's hopes and dreams. And she's like, oh, you change your mind so often about what you want to be. Like, after we saw that Rodan exhibition, you said you were going to be... A giant pterodactyl bird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did have a hard time writing Rodan with an, with an I. I kept trying to put the kaiju name in here. This is uh, another this is another case of us being uncultured swine. Yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot to put the disclaimer. Um went to go see you... this Rodan exhibit, but it was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Where are all, all the monsters? All these statues. No 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 kaiju. Yeah. Um we don't know anything about ballet or like classical music or anything in general. So uh, if you do <laughs> anything um, in general. We literally don't know anything. So if you do like those things, you might as well skip the rest of this episode because I just wanted like a skip dance button every time ballet started because I don't I don't know I can't tell when it's supposed to be good or bad. Yeah, and I did I did skip all the performances as yes. scrubbing through. Yeah, it would have been so better. much faster. Oh my god, this movie would have been ten minutes long. That's not true. It's still pretty long. <laughs> I like that you skipped all the dances and it still took you an hour and a half to watch the first hour. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, how does this happen? Back back to the Rodan point, she says. <laughs> she says they saw a Rodan exhibition and that Romola claimed that she wanted to be Hungary's first great sculptress. You were going to be Hungary's first great sculptress, which is a word that I used during our review of Last Married Couple, and you guys both made fun of me because you said they're just <laughs> called sculptors. <laughs> so I just wanted. There's a little vindication here. I'm using 1912 <laughs> terminology, but. Sculptress is a thing that I didn't invent on my own. She uh, during during the ballet, she's clearly fascinated by Nijinsky's performance. But afterwards, we hear the show is losing money and they need to find more people to invest in it. Uh, Jeremy Irons shows up as Mikhail, and he's the choreographer for the company. And he's heard a rumor that Sergei is planning a ballet specifically for Vazlov to star in, and he's upset about that because he likes to pick everything out and he uses mm-hmm. all of his own people and and he thinks that Vaslov is just Sergei's boyfriend and doesn't deserve to be the center of one of his choreography works. That's what they're called, right? Choreography works? <laughs> you ballet experts who didn't <laughs> heed my warning. <laughs> Sergei tells him that there's nothing to the rumor and that he sometimes has to indulge him uh, to just keep him working for the studio and not to worry about it. Romola sneaks into a rehearsal because she wants to speak with Sergei Diaghilev, which my uh, talk-to-text knew how to spell. I was very impressed. But when she tries to speak to him, he walks right past her because he knows that people are there to just try and get jobs from him and he doesn't react to them. Yeah. But uh, she decides she's going to stick around and just watch Nijinsky practice. Uh, Voice-to-text says she sticks around to watch the jet ski practice it's not perfect technology but it's getting better guys i think that that would have made for a much more interesting movie though the jet jet ski dancing around on stage richard's not fast forwarding through any rehearsed choreographed jet ski dance no i'm watching that see uh we cut to greece in march of 1912 
Sergei and Najinsky are on vacation exploring the ruins of ancient Greece. Um, I'm assuming that they're trying to get inspiration for correct. his for his play. Yeah. For his show dance thing. Ballet. <laughs> ballet. It was ballet. <laughs> you gotta do the the ballet. <laughs> they keep calling it ballet like it's a total fitness. <laughs> Boys do football, is, not is ballet. That, is that a thing still? What? Ballets? Ballets total fitness? I'm pretty sure it is. Maybe it not. Like, I don't know. I feel like that ended with the 90s. Ballet who? Ballet high? No? All right. No. Another musical. Nijinsky asks Sergey if he's ever been with a woman. And Sergey responds that he has been with three and a half women. God. <laughs> Nijinsky's like... What was the halftime? Well, she was cut in half by a buzzsaw. <laughs> what? Yeah. I wanted, well, actually, he says, when was the halftime? And I wanted him to say, like, oh, in the middle of the game. Which half? Oh. <laughs> they defer to the second half. But he says, he says when, when was, was the, the halftime? Half and he says, well, I suddenly said to myself in the middle of this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it just made me laugh really hard. They look at a lot of ancient Greek art, and Nijinsky sees the ancient pot with the painting of the fawn on it again um and he's like oh this is from the same period right and he's like don't worry about that you're just playing the fawn you don't need to know the historical accuracy of stuff we have people for that so just ignore it uh we move back to the theater where leo or leon is presenting the costumes for the Mm -hmm. show and uh sergey and mikhail are sitting in the stands with him Mikhail is very offended by the costumes because they're much more revealing than he wanted them to be. Yeah. And he thinks that Sergei's just a pervert and that he just wants to see naked people and he doesn't care about the ballet. The ballet. The ballet. <laughs> the ballet. Mikhail's objections are overruled by Sergei, who says his taste is impeccable even when it's bad. <laughs> I liked that line. Later, Mikhail walks in on Leo and Vaslav discussing his ballet. And we cut to Monte Carlo in April of 1912. April of 1912, a significant month in the history of the world. Uh, but the, for some reason, the sinking of the Titanic plays no part in any of this story. Yeah. I kept, well, well, anytime you hear April 1912, you're expecting some important person related to these people is dead. Well, the, the, well they, kept, they kept making such a point of showing the exact month. And yeah. I was like, is this building up to like World War One? And is it trying to keep us on our toes for something? But it like, no, never plays no a factor. I mean, I think that the point of the dates was just to show you how quickly this all sort of progressed. Maybe. Like, this all happened in a very short period of time. Anyway, we're in Monte Carlo now in April of 1912. Romola is meeting with an old classmate who has connections to this ballet company. Seems like this is someone who she hated in school yeah. and has since learned that, oh, she has money and she has connections to this theater production. So I'm going to go bother her and pretend like we were best friends and she just misunderstood so that I can get into this this uh, company. Yeah, she calls her out on it later, and yeah. but doesn't seem to care. Yeah, and <laughs> she's kind of like doesn't even, yeah, they're, they're just joking about it. But uh, she says that she wants to meet Sergei, basically. Uh, Sergei meets with Baron de Gunsberg mm-hmm. for money. Who's more than happy to shell out the cash. Right. He he says like he wakes up at, at night like from nightmares because he's afraid he's not giving enough money to artists. Apparently he writes what people owe him on his sleeves. <laughs> like that's how he keeps track of debts. But he said that his valet keeps 
washing his shirts before he can transfer the numbers to yeah. any permanent uh, books. Mishka, the Mikhail, that's his nickname, Jeremy Irons, uh, enters and confronts Sergei about Vaslav's play because by now it's been confirmed that a play is being centered around Sergei's boyfriend. And he says, you're going to shut that all down and we're going to start from scratch and we're going to actually cast somebody for this. And uh, Sergei basically tells him, you're... You can quit if you want. Your contract is up in November, but uh, it's up to me, and you're really not in a pos- position to make any kind of demands from me. Mikhail basically surrenders and leaves, and Sergei admits that he feels like he's losing his creative ability, mm-hmm. uh, and he needs to keep finding new creative people to fill the void, or else the the whole company is going to go down. Uh, Romola and Magda, her childhood friend, go to a play, and during the play she turns and says... Oh, I would love to meet Sergey. And she says, oh, well, that's easy. I could set that up. Uh, you could meet him after. And she's like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> and she's just like, oh. I ought to be furious with you. And they're both just laughing about it. But they sit there and watch Vaslav. And then Magda says, perhaps he'll fall in love with you and marry you. And then Romola says, idiot. Like, like, yes, that's what I want too. But you can't just say it out loud mm. while we're watching this play. Romola or probably her money make a very good impression on the baron at the party after the play or the ballet he decides to introduce her to sergey because more people should be throwing money at this company instead of just him and sergey seems to approve but he basically says that the maestro has to say yes it's not up to me because i'm not discriminating enough of the talent so he says go meet with the maestro so she goes to the maestro and the maestro says Go take some more dancing lessons and come back to me. She's like, all right, that's great. Thank you so much. All right, I have a four-step plan. Right. Uh, But at least there's like everything's laid out and she knows what she has to do in what order. Um, We cut to Paris in May of 1912. The Titanic is now underwater. Nobody cares. Uh, Mikhail confronts Sergei about Vaslav's play preempting his at this theater. Uh, Basically, the two plays are playing in a row. The ballets are going to be in a row Mm -hmm. for their debut. And Mikhail is concerned that everyone will leave before his show finishes because it's so late at night. Especially the critics. Right. And Sergei's had enough of listening to Mikhail argue into one ear while he's trying to listen to the rehearsal performance with his other ear. And he says, fine, we'll trade. You can have the first show of the night. I don't care. Get out. I'm going to ask them to start the song over because I couldn't hear any of it because you were talking to me. But on his way out of the theater, Mikhail bumps into... Vaslav and calls him a filthy pederast whore because he's basically deciding once th- once this trade was complete that was that was the last thing he's going to do for him yeah that he's going to be leaving the company uh we get the performance of the ballet that included the fawn and at the shall we say climax <laughs> of the performance let's uh, not let's not say that let's not say that okay uh the fawn is dancing around and falls in love with another character who leaves like a scarf on stage he humps it into the stage floor and everyone starts booing immediately well in the audience. it's it's mixed there, there are some people who are who are applauding it right but the the, the i would say the overriding sound here <laughs> yeah. is people booing yeah and that's the first indication that we get it's like oh that wasn't that wasn't in the script and then as the curtains close these two other stagehands run up and they're like why did you do that and he's like i didn't do it it was the fawn uh, historically, that that when this happened, 
the there were a lot of people in defense of it like other famous like i don't doubt it creative artists were like no that was that was pretty provocative and crazy yeah and sergey's not upset at all he's Mm -hmm. ecstatic because he said the whole time that what he thought was his talent was finding people who can embody the characters and that he was so inside this character's head that he that he just took this action on his own and it completely changed the nature of the play and he loves it and he knows that they're going to sell out the rest of the season because it's so provocative then we get this scene where a guy's playing the piano but he's playing it exaggeratedly badly so that we know oh no he's not apparently this is great and everyone's Mm -hmm. crying because it's so beautiful um i thought the joke was supposed to be that this guy's terrible at his job and then he wrote a bad song no but it's stravinsky <laughs> right and uh it's wonderful and uh the pianist does a few rehearsals with vaslav trying to count him out like the steps of the ballet but vaslav can't keep the number straight because the pattern changes constantly and he's not as good a dancer as people who maybe aren't Sergei's boyfriend might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he complains to Sergei about it, Sergei basically says, oh, are you offering to quit? Because that's what would happen here. I wouldn't fire Vaslav. I would be firing you. Um, and we get all these scenes of him just trying really hard to teach Vaslav the numbers, which reminded me of the scene in Citizen Kane when there's the person at the piano trying to teach uh, Citizen Kane's girlfriend how to sing the notes Mm -hmm. and she's just a bad singer easier to show that someone's bad at singing than they can't keep up with these this number set that i have no idea what you're doing (laughs) i would be just as confused as him uh another dancer takes a shot at dancing to the same counting basically and when she can't keep up with it, Nijinsky loses his patience with her and just chews her out in front of the entire production. He meets with the Baron, and the Baron says, well, you know, I'm still going to put my money into this play, but I wish I had something short that I could put in front of it, like a shorter ballet that maybe I could have my name on. Like, I want to put my mark on something. And then he pitches him this terrible tennis ballet. <laughs> Which, I don't know if the joke was supposed to be that it's terrible or if it's actually terrible. But it does bomb. So, I feel like my artistic sense. <laughs> I'm giving myself some credit here for recognizing that this was a dumb idea for a ballet. Romola is invited to train with the cast. She has done a good enough job with her separate dance instructor in Hungary. And then come back to train with the maestro. And now she's in the room with Vaslav training. And she compliments him on his way out of a rehearsal. A ballet about Native Americans goes poorly. Uh, Boos are overpowering the stage to the point that they can't even hear the numbers or the music being counted off. And they're throwing garbage up onto the stage. Yeah, I imagine it's their programs, the only thing that they probably would have had with them. Well, didn't people used to bring rotten fruit to performances just in case they were bad? I don't, I don't know. It, I don't it, know it, that it, changed. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody basically rushes the stage and throws everything on stage. They book a series of shows in South America... Yeah, because the uh, Russian venue that they had uh, burned to the ground. <laughs> yes. So they're hanging out on a beach between that tour and this tour. And Vaslav is uh, poking fun at Sergei for being afraid of the water. Because like a gypsy or a fortune teller told him that he was going to drown. That's mm-hmm. how he would die. 
And he says, oh, well, maybe that's what's going to happen uh, on the way to South America. Maybe the ship will sink or something. And he's like, please don't make fun of me. Just go build sandcastles or something. <laughs> and then Vazlov gets upset because he's being treated like a child. Nijinsky basically has a meltdown about being overworked. And Sergei says, if you want me to step away from the show, I'll, I'll step away from it for this tour. And he's like, oh, you're just saying that because you you're afraid of the water and you think you're going to drown. And he's like, no, I legitimately care about you being able to do this performance and if i'm stifling you or if i'm driving you crazy then maybe we maybe it would be good for both of us if we took some time apart romola tries to convince vaslov to write his own ballets mm. in the absence of any work coming in from sergey uh, the baron intercepts a telegram that sergey is looking for someone to play the lead in their south american performances other than vaslov because the joseph character is supposed to be 15 now Vaslav plays this off like he knew about it and that he says, oh yeah, we both decided that because the character is so young that they might need someone else. Yeah. But is the implication that he didn't actually know about it and this is the first he's hearing and he's trying to play it off? Well. Because he seems personally offended. Well, he, he's he's upset because they he already had this conversation with Sergei. Yeah. And Sergei kind of let it drop. Yeah. I think that it just weighed on him more because then the Baron kept harping on it. like. And then he drops the second part of it, which is that He's working with Mishka yeah. again to put that performance together. And Vaslav basically, a la Citizen Kane again, destroys his hotel room. and uh, his Well, his ship cabin, but yeah. Right, his ship cabin, yeah, the room that he's staying in. And uh, uh, Romola finds him collapsed in the corner, crying about his brother destroying the kitchen when they were kids. Uh, you get the impression that the point of this is that mental illness runs in the family and mm -hmm. that his brother went crazy and destroyed their home when when he was young and was sent away to an asylum of some sort uh in the very first scene with sergey and vaslav he says something along the lines of like it's the same thing going to happen to me that happened to my brother but she tries to calm him down with her body <laughs> with her body parts and uh they make out for a second before he just tears her dress off and then they get married because that's what you do that's you got to make an honest woman so but, but i this, this is actually my favorite scene of the movie. Of course it is. There's boobs in it. No, 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 no. Not, not that part. The, the the marriage part. Oh, right. Because they get so married, beautiful. and and just just as they're getting back from the wedding, right? Yeah. Uh, the other dancer that he's in love with arrives, and she doesn't even know about the wedding. Yeah. And she's immediately just talking to him, like kissing him, and saying, "Oh," and you can just see the look on his face of like, "Oh God." Yeah. I made a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> And she's like, aren't you going to introduce me to this person? Who is this? And he's like, this is my wife. And then he just like, he's like stare, <laughs> he stares at the camera. His eyes, he looks like his head's going to blow up. But it's also like he's still wearing a top hat and she's still wearing her, her outfit dress. from the wedding. It's like, yeah, this is my wife as of a few minutes ago. You missed it by that much. Had you been here 10 minutes earlier, yeah. I would have married you. Who knows? But uh, we, we clear up some other misunderstandings. Apparently, Sergei was unable to find a young enough person to play Joseph. So Vaslav gets to play the part anyway. And the only reason he was working with Mishka was because Mishka had another uh, ballet on his contract. So he didn't have a choice about working on it. So basically, Vaslav got mad at Sergei and married this woman for no reason. Mm -hmm. Because Sergei hadn't even done anything to upset him. So he loses it. And uh, basically, he's inconsolable. And he doesn't want to tell Sergei about it, but Sergei finds out that he got married. And he basically says, okay, well, then Vaslav is dead to me. 
Yeah. You know, I'm not going to write anything. He's fired. Yeah. So. Uh, Which all happened. Like, I mean. Yeah. To, to the real, you know. And. I, don't, I feel like we're not touching enough on the history since this is a semi-biographical thing. Right. That a lot of these things happened. Yes. Um, not quite in this order or in this time frame, but these these terrible, terrible shows that he did failed because he was crazy. Um, and, you know, the marriage to this also crazy woman who yes. has been stalking him his whole life. Yes. Was it his wife or the other uh, actress goes to the Baron and says, we need to solve this problem. The other actress. The other yeah. actress. Yeah. Okay. She goes to the Baron and she says, you know, we need to solve this problem. This is terrible. It's it's ruining everything. And the Baron just does not give a shit about anything. He's like, where are my peppermints? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Wouldn't you know? This would happen when I'm out of my peppermints. Vasov basically wants desperately to apologize. And when he's telling Romola that he's going to go and apologize, Romola gets in his way and says, no, 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 just stay here. We'll fix everything. And he smacks her and instantly regrets it. And she pretends like she understands completely. And she says that she wants to go talk to Sergei on his behalf. Um, she says that she's totally willing to basically surrender him to Sergei and beg for beg for his love again. Mm-hmm. Uh, She'll leave. She'll, she'll be out of the picture. Yes. And so she does. She goes to see Sergei and begs him to take Vaslov back. And Sergei refuses. And so Vaslov has a breakdown and is put in an asylum. Yeah. I love it. It's like he'll, he'll probably go crazy from this. And he goes, yeah, you're probably right. Cut to. He's, he's already in the straitjacket. We're back to that first shot. And then uh, the credits start and we get the series of black and white photographs. And I was like. Holy crap, that guy really looked no. like Those are, those are stills like, from the yeah. movie. Well, as it kept going, I was like, oh, these are just, this is literally from this film. But it's like, why would you make them black and white if the movie was in color, if they're not, I thought the whole point was going to be like, look, this, is, this was a real person and this is what he looked like. And the first shot is like kind of further away and I was like, wow, he really kind of looks like him. And they get to the fawn shot and I was like, wow, I guess there's a lot of makeup there so you can make somebody look like, and then the next shot it's like, oh, this is just blatantly the actor from this movie. Yeah. These are all shots from this film. And it's not as if photos of this man didn't exist. Yeah, there's plenty of them. plenty of photos. So I just thought that was a a weird choice to end it with black and white photographs of the actor that played the character instead of the actual person. Um, Um, Also, uh, the iTunes visualizer over the music of the credits. Yeah. I was like, what is this supposed to be representing? I feel like that was just like Saltzman was like, oh, no, 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 no. We have to do like a weird colorful floaty thing. That's what we did on all the James Bond movies. <laughs> they were like, okay, I guess. It doesn't really fit to what you're trying to do. But because um, if, if you're not familiar, Harry Saltzman obviously is one half of Saltzman Broccoli that co-produced the first. Which, which half? Uh, I think he's the Broccoli half. Heir to the Broccoli fortune. Um, the broccoli family did actually invent broccoli though that's the craziest part of that whole story but saltzman and broccoli together co-produced the first i think nine eight or nine james bond movies and then saltzman sold his half to united artists who still owns like united artists is now mgm property yeah and mgm owns half of the rights to bond with the broccoli family which is why barbara broccoli is now in charge of the continuity and all the eon productions stuff but um, yeah, Saltzman was not as good with or as careful with his money, and in the mid seventies had to give away his half because he ran 
uh, Technicolor into the ground. So he ran out of money. Uh, director Herbert Ross here um, has a lot of credits, uh, stuff that people have heard of. Played Against Sam uh, with Woody Allen, uh, Funny Lady, 7% Solution, Goodbye Girl, Footloose, Steel Magnolias, My Blue Heaven. It's really all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he hit every genre there. Um, the writer Hugh Wheeler wrote the musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which is funny because Sergei has this big black and white stripe with, with his one shock of yeah. white hair in the top of his head and there's a scene where he's sitting in a barber's chair getting a shave uh, in the film um, the author Romola Najinsky obviously Najinsky's real life wife wrote a book which is why some of the film might not be exactly accurate to what really happened by all accounts she was essentially a stalker mm-hmm. um, who but I just... think the film represents that pretty well right I, I think the part that I take issue with is did she go to Sergei and say that you can have Vaslov back? Or did she just go and then not even see him and go back to Vaslov and said, he, yeah, he doesn't want to see you again. <laughs> and Vaslov ended up in an asylum. I'm just going to make random accusations at this woman. But something tells me that if you wrote in a book like, no, look at this total self-sacrificing move that I did and there's no one to corroborate it, then it's possible that that scene didn't even happen in real life. But he did get put in an asylum and she did take care of him for the next 30 years before yeah. he passed away. Uh, George De La Pena was Vaslav Nijinsky here. We, I said before he was Baryshnikov's stand-in in the turning point from the same director. But uh, Baryshnikov apparently didn't want to play Nijinsky in this movie. Leslie Brown was Romola Dopolsky uh, and later Romola Nijinsky. She was also in the turning point. And she's actually a dancer. Right. Um, I don't know a lot of the credits for a lot of these other people. Ronald yeah. Lacey, obviously. Oh, yeah. Ronald Lacey. You can't not talk about yes. Tote. Uh, he was... Uh, Leon Baxt here, the guy who made all the very provocative costumes, but uh, he was President Widmark in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, mm-hmm. and I'll let you mention his other credit. Yeah, uh, he played the uh, the uh, Gestapo SS agent uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's the... face one in the melting scene. Yeah, oh my goodness, he's terrific. Uh, he also plays kind of a crazier, similar character in Red Sonja. Yeah, he's a very he's a very strange individual, and he's great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think he does, he does an excellent parts. job here. And then uh, Vernon Dobchev played Sergei Grigor- Grigoriev. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know who that character was. I don't know who it was either. Vernon Dobchev uh, played the uh, butler in The Last Crusade uh, when uh, Harrison Ford is pretending to be a Scottish lord coming to inspect the tapestries. <laughs> if you are Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. Jeremy Irons was Mikhail Fokine. Obviously, we said before this is his first feature, but he's weirdly best known for Scar's voice in Lion King, I would say. <laughs> if you ask somebody something that Jeremy Irons was in, that's probably the first thing they would say. I mean, I would go uh, Die Hard 3. No. No? No, no you wouldn't. Not I, would, first. I wouldn't do that? Not first. You would say Scar first. And then you would say Die Hard 3. He's the, the lesser Gruber. And he was also played two characters in the Cronenberg film Dead Ringers, which is amazing. Um, and he is currently the Alfred to the Affleck Batman. Well, I guess Affleck's not Batman anymore. No, no. But he's and, Alfred in the universe because... Well, But will he continue to? I don't know. Like, Superman says he's still Superman. So... I don't know. Okay, Bill's coming back? That's He says that he hasn't been officially fired from the role yet. Um, but, you know. <laughs> that, that's such a great way to put it. I haven't been officially fired. Yeah. He's like, nobody told me that I'm not Superman the next time Superman shows up. But we've recast Batman, so it would be weird. 
But he definitely wasn't Superman in Shazam, so... You don't know that. We can see his face. Um, Fred... That's why I know it was him. <laughs> no, no, no. They spent all that money and they just forgot to use one of the shots with his face. Uh, Frederick Yeager was uh, Gabriel Astruc. He plays World War One ace in Last Crusade. Um, and then the rest of the people, I didn't really recognize a lot of their other credits. Was there any other notes that you guys had on the story? Uh, the only other note that I have is uh, a crew that... Uh, getting back to the Indiana Jones stuff, right. is that this was shot by Douglas Slocum. Uh, and uh, I think that, that he is very, very big career. And, uh, you know, obviously, like I just mentioned Indiana Jones, uh, he did, like, uh, The Lion in Winter, Lady Vanishes, uh, Rollerball. Uh, you know, and it's just, his career goes back to the 1950s. So... I'd say that he is a very noteworthy person to bring up. Here. Sure, that makes sense. Jess, up or down on this one? Uh, this would be a down. Richard. Yeah, I'm afraid it's it's a down for me. Um, just uh, just too long. It was very competently made. Yes, but yeah. absolutely. Um, I would say for me that this is the downest that I have, that I can possibly say. <laughs> like... It's not the worst film. It doesn't go at the bottom of my list, but it's the one I am least likely to recommend to anyone yeah. to see because as as much as I feel like there's a lot of great stuff here, presumably some of the dancing is good. The music is probably amazing and I just have no idea, but there's nothing in this movie for me. Yeah. If you love Nijinsky and dancing and ballet, maybe consider looking up a book about Nijinsky. Yeah. <laughs> Books are probably more exciting than this movie. Oh, wait, we got to do Letterboxd. Yeah, this is troubling. Yeah, so I, I struggled on the Letterboxd for this one for a while because, like you said, I this movie is not worth watching for me, but it's it's a nice movie. Like, it's good, high production value. It's, it's, you know, it's well shot. It's got good actors in it. But it's just not a good movie. And so I just really struggle as to where to put that because, you know, I think that story goes above everything else. But, and this doesn't really have that. So I have to put it kind of low on the list. But it's not as bad as a lot of bad movies. So I ended up putting it somewhere in the middle. It, it ended up just below Simon and just above Midnight Madness. Okay. Richard? Uh, yeah, um, I think I'm going to put this... Uh between simon and cruising okay so it does it is above the windows threshold uh it's right it's right there at the edge i was gonna maybe put it below cruising but i don't like cruising so I'm gonna yeah put it above it the cruising is pretty offensive and terrible so that sounds fair um for me i'm gonna put this between just tell me what you wanted fatso pretty close to the bottom it's low yeah it's uh like, like we've said a couple times now, it's competently made, but there's literally no replay value to this movie for me, especially as long as it is. Yeah. Um, and with me being a complete rube when it comes to ballet and and judging dance for... Like, I literally thought the point of him playing the piano like that was that this guy's incompetent and everyone's going to be furious that they hired this pianist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 that was great. That's exactly what they wanted. And that, And an artist would recognize that that was great. Uh, it's just so atonal and <laughs> disinteresting to me. But um, 
Yeah. I think that's everything for this one. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you find the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Changeling, which IMDb describes as a man staying at a secluded historical mansion finds himself being haunted by the presence of a specter. We leave you now with the trailer for The Changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Did you die in this house? How did you die? Whatever it is, it's trying desperately to communicate. What is it in that house, Claire? What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me?